Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Today we're going to go through a, a little chunk of this scripture in Genesis, actually less than you see out on the sign, uh, because when I told Greg, who does the sign for us, how far we're going to get, I wasn't all the way done, and shocker, I'm not going to get as far as I thought. So we're going to cover a few verses of Genesis 47 today, and then chapter 48, and the rest of Genesis next week. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about something that most of the time we as humans don't get to see, and that is the end of the dream. Uh, I'm not talking about the end of the dream in a sad way. I'm not talking about end of the dream in like a negative sense, like your dream is over and you'll never see it again. I'm talking about the kind of dream you have when you're sleeping, Right? Because when you are having a dream when you're sleeping, you almost always wake up before it's over, and you never get to see what was going to happen at the end, right? We've been titling this series, Here Comes the Dreamer, and that is after what Joseph's brothers say to him when he shows up in the desert before they sell him into slavery. The very first week in the introduction when we talked about this, I mentioned some dreams that are really common to almost everyone. You go Google this, and it shows up. One of them is a dream about falling from some kind of great height, Right? falling out of a plane or off a cliff or whatever. But if you fall in your dream, uh, what never happens? You never see yourself hit the ground, right? Kind of strange. Go here. Uh, there's these dreams, a really common dream about being chased, right? Dreams about being chased by a wild animal, by a kidnapper, by something unseen. I mentioned that week, I was looking back at my notes and I forgot my son Luke, who, uh, my son Luke, if you meet him, he has a wild imagination, it's awesome. Um, my son Luke, he recently had a dream about being chased by Captain Hook, and he was at church. I don't know why. We haven't seen anything with Captain Hook in it recently, but that's just the way his mind works. When I had those dreams when I was younger, I never actually slept long enough to know if I got caught. Uh, a really common dream was a dream about failing a test, right? If you Went to college, we got some college students here with us today. If you haven't had this dream yet, you probably will, where you show up to take the test, and you're like, what subject is this? This happens in the dream, right? When I had those dreams, I never actually got the grade back. I'd always wake up, never find that would actually happen. Often the test would be on a different subject than I studied for, or I showed up to the wrong class, or I showed up 45 minutes late, but I never saw the grade. Greg, uh, who does our sign, like I mentioned, he was telling me earlier this week, he tries sometimes to go back to sleep so he can see the end of the dream, but it's never worked. I've tried it myself, never worked. Well, remember Joseph, when he was 17 years old, Joseph in the Old Testament, he had had a dream. His dream was what got him into this mess he's in in the first place, but also right to where he is in this moment in Scripture. He's to the point where he gets to see the end of the dream he had. And remember, in Joseph's dreams, his whole family, the rest of his family, had been bowing down to him. His brothers didn't make much sense at 17, and he foolishly shared it with his already jealous brothers. And, of course, they weren't very nice to him. Go read about that in Genesis 37. Uh, but the hope of Joseph's heart as a result of those dreams is that he would one day see his father again. And his brothers would speak with honesty about what had happened. And if you've been following along, we know this because 20 years later, when his brothers show up in Egypt because of a great famine, his first thought is, his brothers don't know it's him. His first thought is, is my father still alive? 
And all of his actions are centered around finding the true motives of his brothers. The short version is from the moment he was sold into slavery at the age of 17, his, the dream in his heart was that somehow, some way, his family would be together again. In these final chapters of Genesis, he finally gets to see uh, the end of the dream. What's beautiful about this dream that Joseph is having is he is still learning from his father Jacob. They lived longer than, so 100 years later, he's still learning from his father Jacob all the way up to the moment his father Jacob dies. And Jacob is even helping Joseph's dreams come to pass on earth. If you remember what we've said about Jacob's life, that's kind of surprise of a surprise, and we'll dig into that. And as we jump into this scripture and we unpack it a little bit, I believe that God wants you to know today that no matter how broken your life or your family is, that there is hope for your heart. There is hope. This story is proof, along with lots of other ones in the Bible, but this one especially is proof that there is hope for your heart. So let's take a look at this first set of verses. It's pretty short this morning. Uh, Genesis 47, 27 through 31. We actually read 27 last week is our ending, and it's our beginning today. This is just the rest of chapter 47. We've got it on the screen for you. I'm reading to you today out of the uh, New Living or, uh, New International Version, verse 27. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said, and Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped he leaned on the top of his staff. Now we see something incredible, beautiful in just these few verses. We've actually seen it over and over again throughout the story of Joseph. And that is that God had a plan that Joseph couldn't see. As we talk just for a moment about what led to this point in time, I believe that God would love to encourage each of you this morning that he has a plan that you can't see. Even if you really think you got it figured out, and especially if you don't think you have it figured out, if you feel like you're barely hanging on by the skin of your teeth, God has a plan that you can't see. It's been an eventful few decades for Joseph, right? He went from slavery to one of the most powerful men in the world. Joseph's hope and prayer was simply that his family would be made whole. That was his plan. The dream he had, and that was his plan, that his family would be made whole. But God's plan was for a great nation to come about, for his people to, be th- to thrive and be fruitful. And quite simply, at this time and place, Egypt was the best place for that to happen. It was safe. It was fertile now that the famine was over, and the best place for God's people to grow was in Egypt. Verse 27 sums up this period of 17 years really well. It says the Israelites acquired property there, and they were fruitful and increased greatly in number. That's kind of the understatement of the year. We'll get to that in a minute. But the hope of Joseph's heart had come true. He was still in Egypt. He was running the kingdom as Pharaoh's right-hand man, second most powerful man in the country, probably the world. Verse 29 tells us that Jacob, though, his father, called for Joseph when he was close to death. What it helps us know is that Joseph was not with Jacob and the rest of his family in Goshen. He'd gone back to Egypt, the part of Egypt he lived in, and he was helping run things in the nation. 
But within God's purpose was contained the end of the dream that God had placed in Joseph's heart. The end of Joseph's dream was in the middle of God's big plan. You see, when Jacob came to Egypt, this is the understatement of the year I was talking about. When, when Jacob came to Egypt, they numbered about 70 people. Uh, Pastor Marnie talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were out of town. About 70 people. 200 years later or so, Moses would lead them out of Egypt with, we think, about 2 million people. So, I mean, you could say that they grew and were fruitful from 70 to 2 million. One of the largest fighting armies on the planet by then. There's, that's a population growth uh, rate, if you do the math, about 2.6%. Pretty high, but not much above the highest growth rates recorded in world history. And that is not impossible for God to do, especially if they're living in the best place on earth to live, the most fertile land, no enemies fighting them at the time. 200 years later, they leave for the promised land. New pharaohs had come into power, and they'd be mistreated by these Egyptian rulers. But they grew more and more powerful because of the amount of people they had. In fact, at this time, when Joseph is uh, talking with his father Jacob, and his father Jacob is about to die, Moses is only about 120 years from being born. And Moses is, of course, the one that would tell Pharaoh, right, let my people go. Joseph, of course, he doesn't know any of this. He only knows that he wakes up every day with his family safe, his relationships with them restored, that his dream is coming true. But what we must see is that Joseph had a key part in the Israelites becoming a great nation. It doesn't happen without him. If Joseph is not able to bring his father and his brothers, the 70 people, to Egypt to be fruitful and safe, it doesn't happen. Joseph's the one that brought the person named Israel, his father Jacob, whose name was turned to Israel, out of danger and into safety. But he didn't know any of that was going on, and he didn't even need to know any of that was going on. All he needed to know was that God had put something inside of his heart, and his job was to see it through. God had put a dream inside of his heart for his family to be whole, and it was happening before his eyes, and he needed to see it through. So often, friends, as humans, I know I am so guilty of this, we are concerned with the bigger picture all the time. When what God would have us do is set our hope on what he has given us in this moment. It's God's job, friends, to fit us into the bigger picture. And you know what? He's much better at fitting us in to the bigger picture than we could ever be because he has a better view than we do. Anyone ever played the game before uh, Settlers of Catan? Anybody play that game? A few of you. We were talking about this on Wednesday, actually, Settlers of Catan. Now, Settlers of Catan is this game where you have your little corner and you have resources. You're supposed to get other resources. Honestly, I'm not that great at the game. I don't play it often enough to remember what my strategy should be. Uh, but imagine if you're playing Settlers of Catan, any board game really, and you are only allowed to see your little corner of the board. The whole game is about getting resources and becoming more powerful, defeating the other people. But imagine if you could see your only little corner. In fact, this might be the way I can beat my wife at this game. I may get so old. She can only see that corner and I can see the rest of the board. I may have a chance. Uh, she's really competitive. She doesn't love sports, so we don't compete at that. But at board games, we compete, and she slays me every time. I do not beat her very often at games. But imagine if you could see only your own little corner, how difficult it would be to win. Well, the thing is, God can see the whole board while all we see is the little corner. God can see the beginning of time, the end of time, the middle, and all we can see is the moment that we're in. 
Our corner, to be honest, man, my corner, it looks huge and important. And I got important stuff to do. Man, I have two little boys who are in school with a daughter. We adopted. He's about to turn 27. He's wonderful. Lives in Twin Falls. I have a wife to take care of. I got school to worry about. I got a church to pastor. Man, I got all kinds of stuff to do. My corner looks huge and important because it's all I can see. But God knows how to fit me into the better picture. And your corner looks huge and important because it's all you can see. And God knows how to fit you into the picture. So Joseph, he's called out to where his father is because God sees the whole board, right? He doesn't just see the corner. There's really interesting detail in verse 29 about Jacob asking Joseph to place his hand under his thigh. All we really know about that is that it was just known posture for taking an oath or making a promise in that culture. Don't understand why or exactly how. We just know it was a a posture for taking an oath. But Joseph, it's important he takes the oath because by taking this oath with his father, he is not just making a promise to his dad. You see, Joseph, when he takes this oath, he is making himself accountable to God by taking this oath to his father. He's not just making a promise to his family to take care of the inheritance. What he's doing is he's putting himself at the mercy of God's punishment if he does not keep his oath. And quite literally at this point, Joseph, he's seeing the end of the dream. He didn't even have to go back to sleep. He's with his father as his father prepares to pass, which he never thought would happen. He's not only been able to reunite with his brothers, but they did bow before him multiple times, right? The, the riddle dream he had was the sheaves of wheat bowing down and the sun and moon and stars bowing down to him. And he told his brothers that. But when they came to Egypt in the middle of the famine, that's what they did. They bowed down before him. But after all Jacob has been through, he's showing his son Joseph how to effectively pass on a family, pass on a history. But there's this really interesting question that I think must be asked, and that is, why is Jacob so intent to be buried in the place where he was just miraculously delivered from, right? They came away from where they were because there was no food, anything there. They were going to die if they stayed there. So why did he want to go back and be buried there so badly? And there's some obvious surface reasons. Mostly, he wanted to be buried with his relatives, right, his father and his grandfather, Abraham and Isaac. And their wives were buried there. But I believe a bigger reason, this is the one that we need to know today, is that Jacob knew that Egypt was not where he was supposed to stay. You see, Egypt, for Jacob, it was similar to what the ark was for Noah. It was a temporary shelter from destruction that would have destroyed them otherwise. And even if it's only his bones, he wants to be part of the eventual redemption of God's people that he knows is going to come. Remember how when Jacob, we talked about this, it was several weeks ago, Jacob stopped to pray on the way to Egypt with his family. Joseph had sent the brothers back and he'd said, hey, go get dad, bring him back. And and Jacob still was not sure about this plan, so he stops at the same place his father had stopped to pray. And what God said to him in that moment, Genesis 46, 4, he said, I will go down to Egypt with you. And here's the key part, I will surely bring you back again. When he stopped to pray on the way there, God told him, this is not where you are going to stay. Egypt was where they were saved, where they were fruitful, but it was not where they were supposed to stay. There was a purpose for them being there, but it was not their ultimate destination. 
This is what I believe needs to sink in for some of us today, friends. The place where we find safety is not always where we are supposed to stay. Now, God, because he loves us, he's good and compassionate. God absolutely does. When we need it, he moves us to a place of safety. He places us where the wounds that this life brings can be healed fully. And it's not always pleasant or not always what we would choose. Usually not what we would choose, actually. Sometimes we need a fresh start, right? We need a new location. We need a new job. Human nature, though, is sometimes that we can't heal unless we have some distance, unless we have some time. But even if God has moved you to a place of safety, friends, you need to know this morning that it doesn't mean that the dream God God put inside your heart is dead. It doesn't mean that the promised land is not still out there for you. That's what Jacob knew. The promised land was where he was supposed to be. It doesn't mean that when you are ready, God will not call you there. Jacob knew that Canaan was where his family would end up, and so he told Joseph, that's where I want to be. Do not leave me here in Egypt. Friends, the place where we find safety is not where we were supposed to stay. I know between our, our last church and here, I spent, uh, relayed this story to a few of you between March and September, however many months that is, I spent that time not working in ministry, not working at a church every day, and it was the strangest feeling. We were safe, we had saved money, and it was fine, I hung out with the boys a lot, and I loved that part of it, but it was the strangest feeling, but it was not where I was supposed to stay. Friends, some of you, you might be safe right now. You might be healing up, but it's not where you're supposed to stay. It's so beautiful that even though Jacob wasn't going to see it, he knew what God's promise to him and his family had been. He knew he wasn't going to live long enough to see it, but he knew what the promise was. And if God, friends, has given you a promise for your life or for your family... And we've taken multiple times at the end of service, we've taken time where you could ask God for that promise. But if God's given you a promise for your life or your family, it's so important that you always hold it close. Even if it seems like that promise is far away or that it was so long ago, it's hard to even remember. Even if we feel like it's only our kids or our grandkids that are going to get the benefit. Remember this, friends, your faithfulness and your Egypt or your ark. It might be what brings God's blessing upon your family. Jacob's faithfulness in Egypt was what brought God's blessing upon his family. Let's read a few more verses together this morning. Uh, just three right now. Uh, Genesis 48, 1 through 3. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength. And sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. We see here that Jacob, he knows his time is near. But he's got a few things he feels like he must do. One of those is that Jacob, I love reading this in here, is that he had a desire to express just how faithful his God had been. This is a sign of a life well lived, a heart that is surrendered to God. Is Jacob's one desire here was to let his son Joseph know how faithful God has been. 
And as we talk about what Jacob says here, I believe it's a shining example of this idea that there's no person that can fall beyond the grip of God's grace. No matter what you've been told, no matter what the enemy has spoken to you, friends, you can't go so far that God can't find you. And when you think about who Jacob has been, at least since Joseph was born, it's hard to believe that it's the same person, right? You'll notice the name Israel is being used a lot right now instead of Jacob much of the time. That's because the creation of God's people has been set into motion here. And yes, Jacob, if you'd rewind way back in Genesis, Jacob is the man who wrestled with God and was never the same. But he's also the one who, after that, stole his brother's birthright. And yeah, Jacob's name has been changed to Israel, but his life and his heart were marked more by bitterness and sadness than anything else for decades after Joseph was gone. Remember, he was so downcast for so long that he could not even accept good news when it was brought to him. For a large chunk of his life, Jacob had been a deceiver. For the last 20, 30 years, Jacob had been a deceiver. But now Jacob, he's more of a worshiper than anything else. Last moments of his life, he may have been a deceiver, but in this moment, he's a worshiper. In his last moments with his son, Joseph, who he has been absolutely miraculously reconciled with, all he wants to do is tell Joseph about the promises of God. Just want to do anything but tell him how good God has been. Look at uh, verses 3 and 4 again. Jacob, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. And he said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. You know, if I was in Jacob's situation, I might be a little tempted to be like, ah, you see, Joseph, I told you it would work out. She would just trusted your old dad this whole time. But there's no gloating. There's no, I knew this would work out all along. All Jacob wants to say simply is, Joseph, man, look how good God is. Look how God keeps his promise. And look how God is going to continue to keep his promise in your life. You see, Joseph, beyond what he thought possible when those slave traders came and carried him off as his brothers watched, he's seeing his dream end in this beautiful in this poetic way. At the end of his life, Jacob, he wanted to express how faithful God had been to him. And what an experience this must have been for Joseph, right? But there is more in Jacob's heart for his son. Remember 20 years earlier, Joseph, he had married an Egyptian wife and had two sons. We spent a week talking about this, how he named those two sons with purpose. He named one Manasseh, which means something like, God has made me forget. He had a son in Egypt, and he named the son Manasseh, saying, God, you're helping me to forget and forgive what happened earlier. And he named the other Ephraim, which means something like, God has made me fruitful. He named his sons. He lived his life with purpose. Joseph had these sons in Egypt, far away from his biological family. As far as he knew, they didn't even know he was alive. They didn't. And in what he names them, he expresses forgiveness toward his brothers and towards his father. And when he names them, Manasseh and Ephraim, but for all he knows, his sons will never meet their grandfather, Jacob. Jacob, to them, is only going to live on in these whispered stories about the man who wrestled with God. But Jacob, he calls Joseph to him, right? And then he calls the two boys who are around 20 years old now. He calls them to him. Joseph sees even more the end of his dream. 
And that sets up this last uh, passage of Scripture today. It's kind of long, but we're going to read it together. Genesis 48, 5 through 21. It's the last part we're going to read today. It's on the screen for you there. Listen to Joseph's dream being accomplished here. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours, and the territory they inherit will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them. Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name, the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, no. My father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Joseph's telling his dad what to do here at the end of his life. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. We just heard about Jacob acknowledging God's faithfulness, and now Jacob does something really important. He adopts Joseph's sons as his own. In these times, inheritance, being a son, the powerful father mattered. And when he does this, when he adopts Joseph's sons as his own, he doubles Joseph's inheritance and influence. We'll talk more about it next week in our final Sunday leading up to this story. But Jacob, he's going to speak about all of his sons, good, bad, and everything in between. Before he does, though, he's speaking just to Joseph, and he wants Joseph to know. It's said in there that Joseph is bowed at his father's feet. But I imagine Jacob... Lifting him up and looking me in the eyes and saying, son, your actions have brought to you a double blessing. Your faithfulness in Egypt has brought you a double blessing. Son, the enduring of being sold into slavery by your brothers, betrayed, forgotten by your father, 
It's brought you a double blessing. Son, the integrity and wisdom that guided your ascension to this position in Egypt, it's brought you a double blessing. Son, your kindness to your brothers when they came back that you didn't have to show, it's brought you a double blessing. Son, your bringing of your entire family to safety in the middle of this famine, it's brought you a double blessing. All of that is going to bring Joseph more than he ever imagined. Joseph was seeing the end of his dream. Joseph was seeing his little corner of the board just look amazing and fulfilled and perfect. But God's picture was just getting started. God was in the middle of organizing the whole thing for his people to go from 70 people to 2 million people. Because as the 12 tribes of Israel are established going forward, Joseph is given double the land his brothers through his two sons. His two sons were named what they were as an acknowledgement from Joseph that he'd probably never see his family again, that Egypt was his new home. Here, Jacob makes them part of his family, which brings this inheritance. But the last really strange thing in there is Jacob crosses his hands and he blesses Ephraim first because the Bible says there, though they would both find greatness going forward, uh, notice uh, the blessing in verse 15 and 16 is for both of them. I think we have it on the screen there. It says, may God bless these boys, right, both of them. May they be called by my name, the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and that they increase greatly on the earth. Jacob was including both of them. But Jacob somehow knew that it would be Ephraim that is the more influential of the two. And if you read forward in the Old Testament, you see that happens. And Joseph, he bows at the feet of his dying father, and he realizes that at the end of his dream, the part that most of us don't get to see, God has done something that seemed like it was impossible. He's brought his family back. Um, and the brothers are reunited. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Let's have a few different ways I believe the Lord wants us to respond today. Um, just as I was speaking, Pastor Armani sent me this note. Uh, and he believes the church should know this. And I just wholeheartedly agree. It says this. This is from the Lord for us today. God says, I am pleased with your worship. Continue to sanctify yourselves, and I will open the eyes of your heart. And you will see my glory. That's good. Friends, I believe there's two different kinds of people who can respond to God this morning, at least two. There may be in this place some Jacobs who for the majority of your life, if you're honest, you've been a deceiver, been a liar. But this morning, God is reminding you, and he wants you to know that you cannot fall so far, his grace can't find you. And he's calling you, just as he did Jacob, to make him Lord of your life for the first time, Lord of your life again. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and God, you hear him clearly calling you to surrender your life to him. The New Testament says that God sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. And he died and he rose again. And his blood covers our sins. And when we ask Jesus for forgiveness, he lives in our heart and we go to heaven with God when we die. More than that, God uh, puts, uh, gives us a new life. We become his sons and daughters on this earth. So if you're here this morning, friends, and you need to accept God, accept Jesus for the first time, or maybe it's been a long time since you spoke with God, 
Would you hear him calling you today? If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand across this room just so we can know to pray together with you? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. What we're going to do, friends, uh, we're going to continue to pray, but right now uh, I'm going to ask you just to repeat this prayer after me, and uh, we're going to agree with those who raise their hands. Um, and if you raise your hand or if you didn't, you say this prayer, uh, if you're genuine in your heart, then uh, Jesus is redeeming you today, forgiving you of your sins. Would all of you repeat this prayer after me? Would you say, Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Today, I believe in you. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I commit my life to you. I will serve you all my days. Lord, Make me a worshiper in your name. Just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. One more way to respond today before we stand and we sing. I believe in this place because it's been me before. I believe in this place there might be some Josephs who you had a dream. But now that dream, it seems so far off that you are not even sure if it's real. Journeyed so many days. You've tried your best to serve the Lord. You know Him. Maybe there was a calling on your life uh, to use a gift that God has given you, but it seems impossible because it was so long ago. You've sinned far too much for God to use you. God wants you to know this morning. I wrote this down earlier in the week, these things, and I believe they're for some of you today. God wants you to know that you haven't seen the end of your dream yet. You still can. But you haven't seen the end of your dream yet. Maybe you're here and you started a job or you moved to a place that you were just sure where God's direction. He'd placed a dream in your heart about what you would accomplish here, accomplish in that place. But nothing that you thought would happen has happened. And it seems like the dream that God gave you is further away than ever. God wants you to know this morning that he can see more and he can see farther than we can. Everybody here today, we say all the time, we believe if we love the family, we can change the world. Maybe today, you're here, you're married, you've got a family. And as all that was happening, you had dreams of what it might look like and what God would do through you and in you. But if you're truthful, it's harder than you ever thought it, you ever thought was possible. God wants to remind you today, no matter how hard it has been, that He is a God who restores. I believe God is speaking to some of you today. You haven't seen the end of your dreams yet. God can see farther, and He can see more than we can. And friends your heart is broken today because it just didn't turn out how you thought it would. He is a God who restores. I'm just going to give you a moment to reflect on those things before Zach and Lauren lead us in the final song today. Would you just take, take a minute and let God speak to you.
This morning, Lord, as we prepare to sing, uh, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Lord, I pray that you would uh, reveal to some people who thought their dream was dead that uh, it's still alive because you gave it to them. Lord, I pray you would reveal to some of your people this morning that you can see the bigger picture and we just need to trust you and do what you've placed us in the middle of. And Lord, I pray that you would be the one who restores hearts and minds this morning as we sing. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.